Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Each week we talk about heart rate variability and how it can be used to improve your overall health and wellness. Please consider the information in this podcast for your informational use and not medical advice. Please see your medical provider to apply any of the strategies outlined in this episode. Heart Rate Variability Podcast is a production of Optimal LLC and Optimal HRV. Check us out at OptimalHRV.com. Please enjoy the show. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I am Matt Bennett, uh, here with a very special guest, Dr. Sarah Jeffrey, today. Um, I came across uh, Sarah's work um, in the most recent edition of the AAPB Biofeedback Special Edition, uh, and I reached out immediately uh, because uh, I really loved uh, the work she was doing and got, have gotten to know her a little bit, and I'm excited to share her journey uh, with you as well. So, Dr. Jeffrey, uh, could you introduce yourself uh, briefly to our audience before we uh, jump in? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Matt. And you can call me Sarah for the sake of the interview. Um, so I am a naturopathic doctor. Um, I just finished my education at Bastyr University at the San Diego campus and have started my first year of residency um, where I'm located at the Bastyr San Diego Clinic. Um, while I was in school and as I continue into my professional practice, my main focus is on patients who are too overwhelmed to um, implement any of our treatment recommendations. And that helped me find my way towards biofeedback is a great tool. Excellent. So can you talk, you know, and I'll, I'll just, my ignorance here, uh, but I, I'm sure I'm not the only one. When I saw Sarah Jeffrey Indy. I had to Google it to see what what is an indie. Can you maybe just give a little bit? And then once I Googled it, I didn't stop and I went on an obsessive uh, rabbit hole. Yeah. So uh, to, to save maybe those uh, like myself, who's who, what is this indie? Uh, could you uh, give a little bit of background about, about that uh, designation? Because I found it really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm very passionate about this. I could talk about it for hours. Awesome. And I, I won't. So a naturopathic doctor is a primary care doctor. Like, your med like our medical doctor colleagues with the MD credential, we actually have the same number of hours of training in anatomy and physiology and pathology and pharmacology. So our hours of training actually meet the same standards as those had by a medical doctor. But then we get additional training in homeopathy, botanical medicine, counseling, nutrition, um, and chiropractic type work. So we tend to have a more holistic focus, although many of my MD colleagues also do. Um, we focus on prevention, um, on finding the root cause, and on doing the lowest force intervention possible. So that means we're going to start with somebody, say, with diabetes by talking about lifestyle, talking about their diet, their stressors, um, talking about why they haven't been able to change their diet in the past, what food means to them. Um, we have a longer visit, too, than some of our medical colleagues. We tend to spend about an hour with the patient at a time. So it means that we actually have time to dig into um, the lifestyle factors and really make lasting root cause type change. And my, my follow-up question is, do you have a plan to take over the medical world? Because I want that. <laughs> where, where can I get uh, ND? Uh, I want an hour-long appointment. I, I want this stuff. So is this a growing, uh, like there, there were DOs I know around too. Like, is this a growing movement or am I just a little bit late to the game? Um, it is growing. So currently... Um, 
I think we have scope of practice in 18 states. I might not be exactly correct on that. So in some states we can practice and in other states we're actually not recognized yet. Okay. Um, naturopathic medicine is really big in Canada and in Australia and it's growing here in popularity in the US. Kind of as people harken back to the past where they had a general practitioner who knew them and knew their family um, well. Um, and you know what? I think there's room for both. Um, if I get hit by a car, I'm going to the ER and I'm going to yep. see a medical doctor. Yes. But I think for day-to-day -day primary care, having that established relationship, having time to sit down and talk is really meaningful for patients um, and it's something people are really looking for. Well, I, I know there's a whole range of us who have been uh, toiling in public health for years uh, who are ready to advocate that it's in all 50 states. So uh, yeah. thank you. Thank you for that piece. So I, kind of not a surprise that in, in Indy, uh, you know, came across HRV and HRV biofeedback. But for you personally, when, when did this sort of come into your uh, thinking? Um, you know, it was actually just lucky because I started out as a yoga teacher. Well, no. Okay. I'm going to give you a little bit more background. So I actually please started do, please do. in um, healthcare administration um, after I graduated from college. And I was a director of strategy for a community hospital in Connecticut, mm. um, working through um, service line growth um, and helping the hospital prepare for the future. Um, and, you know, I think many people are aware in America, our healthcare system, we're tied to the model where hospitals only make money when patients are sick. Yep. And everybody knows that's not good, even the medical doctors, even the hospitals, but it takes such a big change um, to get there. And I can be a little impatient. Um, and so it just, the change wasn't happening fast enough for me. Um, and I wanted kind of a more global system and found myself dissatisfied by that work. Mm -hmm. So for in the years I was figuring out what to do next, I taught yoga as kind of, I'd go and I'd crunch spreadsheets all day and I would do work that didn't feel like it served patients. And then I would find my peace by teaching yoga in the evenings um, or on the weekends. Um, so through my work of studying yoga and teaching yoga, I really began to appreciate the mind-body connection. Um, so of course, when I'm at Bastyr University, I think it was in my second year, and there was an elective called mind-body medicine, I signed right up. <laughs> I had no idea that it was gonna be biofeedback therapy. Um, and it was, we were taught by Brad Lichtenstein, who's one of the leaders in the heart rate variability space. Um, and it was just such a pleasure to learn from him. Um, and I quickly fell in love with this specialty. Awesome. And then, you know, I come across, uh, I, and again, of course, if it's a journal article, it has to has, have a title of Resolution of Panic Attacks in a Patient with Reoccurrent Miscarriages Using Biofeedback Therapy, a Case Report. And, and I would love for you to outline because, you know, it, it's, it's an in of one, which is with our podcast, it's kind of a, a repeating theme of uh, you know, early episodes, it was the end of one for Matt as I experimented <laughs> with myself a lot. So our, our longtime listeners are very familiar with the end of one, but just a absolutely remarkable data set uh, that that you were able to uh, achieve with this patient. So I, I would love for you to, uh, you know, just give an overview of, of the, the case report and some of the some of the insights that you gathered uh, uh, from it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for the sake of transparency, this was actually my second ever biofeedback patient that I saw. Wow. Um, when I was a green <laughs> third year student clinician um, on the biofeedback shift with Dr. Maya Roth. Um, and I started seeing, I had two 
we our protocol here at Bastier um, is a seven week protocol, mostly breath and HRV biofeedback focused. And I started two patients the same week on visit one of the protocol. Um, one patient I wrote this case report about and she did remarkably well. And the other patient did okay. Um, and I'll talk more about kind of why that was. And that's kind of why we chose to do a case report. And since I've seen many more patients and I do find that with heart rate variability biofeedback, the results vary and it's mostly due to patient engagement and patient willingness to practice mm -hmm. um, outside. So in some ways I did yeah. get very lucky with this patient that this patient was very motivated because she had had, I guess I'll go back and give a little background on the case for those sure. who haven't read the article. So my patient was a 40 year old female. Um, she had been experiencing recurrent miscarriages. She had had five miscarriages and then finally was able to carry one um, pregnancy to term had a baby boy. Um, and at the point where we saw her, she had gotten pregnant again and had an onset of severe panic attacks, just so afraid that she would lose this child. She really wanted a sibling for her son. Um, and because she had had so much pregnancy loss, she really didn't want to try any pharmaceutical interventions for panic attacks. The research shows there are medications that are deemed safe enough for pregnancy. She wasn't taking any risk, risks. And that's what many women feel um, through pregnancy is that they just want to stay as natural as possible to maximize the health of the fetus. So this woman was having 14 panic attacks a week, um, very debilitated. She ended up in the emergency room at one point, um, but didn't want a pharmaceutical intervention. And that's how she found our way onto our shift um, for biofeedback. Um, and I would love to just, yeah. because if I'm looking at the data right here, and, and am I reading, she was having 14 panic attacks or more a, a week? Is that? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, I, I can't imagine almost like sitting with her, you know, in that, that state. So I, I mean, how, like introducing then the biofeedback, was she, she receptive to that? I mean, uh, yeah. I, I, I just, <laughs> I picture this ball of anxiety sitting across from you. I mean, I, I can't imagine having one panic attack a week, much less more than one a day. So I, I just like, as you're sitting with her, what's that just kind of feel like uh, that level of anxiety to sit with her uh, uh, and connect with her therapeutically? Yeah, it's exactly what you were talking about. Definitely a ball of tension, um, kind of at the end of her rope because she didn't know what tools yeah. to turn to next. Um, this was a patient who had a lot of emotional releases through our sessions. Um, there was a lot of crying, a lot of um, really needing to pause the session and regather. We actually relied heavily on meditation throughout the session. Sometimes she would come in and just be too wound up from the journey to get here that we couldn't go right into biofeedback. Um, so we would do mindfulness meditation exercises. Um, we did some progressive muscle relaxation with her just to kind of get her into a state where she was comfortable um, even proceeding and engaging with the biofeedback. Um, so yeah, she was really, I was in awe of this patient because she was so affected when I started working with her, but she dedicated herself to her practice. Um, she practiced 20 minutes twice a day from week one and saw very, very quick results. Even just with the diaphragmatic breathing we coached in week one, as you can see in the data, by the first week, she was down to one panic attack a week. Yeah, I mean, can you explain I mean, was it just that? I mean, I've seen I've seen biofeedback and HRV biofeedback. I'm I'm such a huge fan and advocate for it. So you don't have to yeah. convince me that like HRV biofeedback is potentially life changing. 
I going from over like over two panic attacks a day to the following. I, I, I see session two. I don't know if that's the second week of your work going down from over two a day to one in a week period of time. Like just that, that drop. And I, I think the reported anxiety level of seven out of 10 to a three out of 10. I mean, that's from me as a mental health professional. We don't even dream about those kind of results. So what was your experience as she started to integrate these approaches and just seeing some of these amazing outcomes? Yeah, I mean, and like you said, you're a mental health professional. You're really heavy into this space. Um, her results were particularly good. It was yeah. just one week. Um, we do see people have that kind of results over the seven weeks. I've never yeah. again seen someone respond that quickly. Um, I think part of it was this patient felt completely out of hope when she mm -hmm. started. And just the power of hope is so huge. And I think just in coming and meeting myself and Dr. Roth, our supervisor, um, and having a protocol that we said, evidence shows this can help with your panic attacks. It's drugless. Um, I think it just restored hope in her. Um, and also the woman, um, like people with anxiety, she was breathing so poorly. Yeah. Um, she was breathing out of her chest. Yeah. She was tensed up. And we gave her tools right in that very first visit to breathe functionally, to posture herself functionally. And then it's all credit to the patient. She went home and she practiced it. That's great. Regularly. Um, so I think that really um, helped. And she also intuitive, was very intuitive. And from the first visit, in addition to the practicing twice a day, um, she also used that diaphragmatic breathing right from week one, the moment she felt a panic attack coming on. Mm. So we didn't coach her to use it as a rescue tool. We actually don't recommend that patients use yeah. it as a rescue tool when they're just learning. Um, but this patient chose to do that. And I do think it was effective for her. Amazing. I, I have to kind of think about the you you know your ND approach, your sort of the naturopathic approach. Do, do you feel like you were able to meet her in a different way that if she was thrown into like the big health system that I'm in, that I just kind of want to get like I pay a lot of money for my health insurance and I never use it. Like I want an hour long physical. Like I, I want like a workup. I'm about ready to turn 50 and there's no way in my system that I can get more than 15 minutes with my medical provider. Uh, so I, I wonder is, was there something about sort of your, your, the, your approach, your philosophy, the program that you're in that allowed you to say, okay, we, we've got somebody who doesn't is, is, doesn't want to do medication, obviously a, a fairly severe, severe, I fairly, I, a severe case, yeah. you know, I, I just kind of, uh, was there something sort of about your approach, your program that allowed you to be creative in a way that I don't think I would have gotten this necessarily if I went to my traditional medical provider. Yeah. I mean, I do think that the luxury of time, so the 60 minutes, that's what we do for our follow-ups. We actually spend an hour and a half with our new patients. And so it gave me time to talk to this woman who was stressed yes. out at the end of her rope. So we weren't rushing through, okay, quick, do a GAD7, do a PHQ9. Um, yeah. you know, when did this all begin? She had time to cry. She had time to tell her story. Um, I was able to just sit in silence with her and let her say everything that she needed to say before we got started. Um, you know, she well, found her it, biofeedback. So she yeah. self-referred into biofeedback. So in some senses that was lucky. It was a shift that was particularly geared towards helping her. But I think um, as naturopathic doctors, 
we are evidence-based. We do follow protocols, but we're less um, tied to them. And we have a little bit more room to be creative. So I added a lot of ingredients into our standard protocol with the meditation for her. Well, just the, just, I mean, the thing that I, when I work with a lot of medical providers in the traditional arena, it's, you know, if you only have 15 minutes, that relational component of the healing hardly ever gets to kick in. I, I think the, the the providers I work with would say, I don't have time. Like, I don't have time to ask an open-ended question, much less, you know, do a, do anything like an hour and a half uh, intake where I actually get to know the person. I may be able to check some boxes off. So I, I know we can't necessarily pull apart how much, I mean, just talking to you a few times, I could I could imagine like the the support she felt uh, from you in that interaction uh, as well. And we know that that can promote uh, healing along with the, the, the correct breathing, the biofeedback and everything else as well. Absolutely. You know, I think um, as humans, we're relational beings. I think we have a rich history through our past of storytelling and of being heard. Um, it's something we don't get to do so much in modern life. Um, you know, there's the book called Bowling for One that talks about the loneliness mm -hmm. epidemic in the United yeah. States and how many people have maybe one, if they're lucky, close friend or confidant. So even just having that space and you could call it placebo effect, but I don't. I think there's actual real medical value in just sitting down and having your story heard. Yep. Well, you release that oxytocin that's calming different parts of the nervous system that often trigger with anxiety. So I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, and even if we throw a little placebo effect in there in some way, shape or form, it is an effect uh, on top of what I, I always like to see. There's uh, an interesting study. It was Gabriel Mate who I, I came across this, but like if we have oxytocin, some of the dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, when those are released, the oxytocin makes those neuroreceptors more sensitive to those. So if I'm with somebody, I, I always like to say, if if I stumble out in a dark alley and I, I have, I'm intoxicated, I haven't showered for three days, and I hand you a sugar pill, depending on how many glasses of wine you've had, maybe you take my sugar pill, probably doesn't have much impact on you, but put on a fancy code to have Dr. Bennett on it. Yeah, do a have you come to a clinic and now that sugar pill becomes an incredibly effective treatment for symptoms uh maybe arguably the most powerful medicine we've ever you know found in a lot of ways so yeah. you know it's that that relational piece uh is so critical um with that i think sometimes we call that placebo when it's probably just the fact that somebody listened to me uh for an hour and yeah. a half, which is absolutely inc incredibly powerful um, I think the other really interesting thing in this case, um, as you read the story, is this woman improved so much, even though she had another miscarriage through the middle of the protocol, Yeah, um, which was in visit three. Um, she literally came in well undergoing her miscarriage. Um, that was a very emotional visit. Yeah. Um, but it really, I think, doubled down for her how well the biofeedback therapy was helping her because she didn't increase in panic attacks as this event right. happened that she had feared so much. Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers throughout, I mean, at the session seven, she was a zero of 10 on the anxiety. I mean, that's just like uh, amazing uh, yeah. results, no panic attacks, um, even though they're, I, I wouldn't, I'm not gonna call it traumatic for her, but at least a highly disruptive, if not traumatic, uh, a tragic event, if nothing else, uh, happened halfway. You still saw the therapeutic benefits, which 
hopefully allows her to be successful in, in other aspects of her life. Pregnancy and beyond uh, would be. Yeah, the absolutely. Um, and in terms of pregnancy, she was successful through biofeedback therapy. She did conceive again. She did get pregnant again. Um, unfortunately, she lost that baby as well due to COVID-19 infection. Oh, um, but yeah. she had no, no return of the panic attacks as she became pregnant. Um, so when I last spoke with her, she had discontinued care because she felt like she had all of the tools that she needed, um, that she had navigated another pregnancy and pregnancy loss without a return of old symptoms and felt confident to continue working on conception. Amazing. So, so you mentioned that there were two people and one had just, you know, may, maybe not as like world changing results. Uh, but I, I'd love to hear as you looked at the other case, um, you know, just, just things, similarities, uh, uh, what, what, what was kind of different in that one um, that, that, you know, kind of stands out to you? Yeah. And these were just interesting because it was two cases at the same time. And I've since yeah. seen many other patients. And to me, the biggest theme is practice mm -hmm. um, at home, right? Because we're with the patient for an hour, which is wonderful yeah. once a week. But um, for me, I find, and I actually would love to do a study on this at some point. And I think it's been done too in the literature, how practice really enhances the outcomes of biofeedback yeah. therapy. Um, I like to be really permissive though, how I talk to patients about practice because we're modern humans with very busy lives and I don't want them to set up, be set up for feeling like they've failed or feeling like they have to lie to me about what yeah. happened. And so <laughs> I kind of language it, you know, the literature supports practicing 20 minutes twice a day. And some of my patients practice not at all. And some of my patients practice more than that. And most people yeah. end up in between and whatever happens with you, we're going to get information about your barriers. Um, we're going to get information about your case. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that uh, we, we hear that all the time. One, one of the things with uh, the app that I've worked on, the optimal HRV app is that there is a clinician's dashboard. So you can actually see whether or not somebody practiced and just that accountability. It's weird that, I mean, we're mostly working with adults here, like that little bit of accountability that I know my provider can actually see whether or not I practice. We see like, you know, increases, uh, you know, compliance for lack of a better word, but, you know, following through with practice, uh, that just little thing, but it is, you know, hard to find that time within the, the day uh, to do that for a lot of people. And, you know, it's not the most exciting thing to practice, at least initially, even though I'm I'm so glad I've got those thousands of hours of practice in my past <laughs> now that I can, I can pull from on, on a day-to-day -day basis. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think um, having a system like you were describing would be such a dream. Um, here at this clinic, it's a student run clinic um, and patients usually are coming because we're a more affordable option in the yeah. community. Um, we don't have them on equipment at home when they're practicing. Yeah. They're using um, free apps like the Breathe, the Breathe Plus app on their iPhone. They're doing paced breathing work, um, but it's all without the technology. So they're only hooked up to the machines when they're here with us. So we don't know if they're practicing or not, um, but it does make it affordable, accessible to the community um, to do it that way. Yeah. So, so I would love like to think about as you sort of progress now and, and looking at, I know just from our previous conversation, some next steps in your career, because, you know, if, if I'm understanding correctly, biofeedback is sort of a part 
but but maybe it didn't sound out like oh i'm gonna be a biofeedback practitioner nor is that necessarily where all your focus is going to lie so it's going to be a part of that thinking you know just kind of how as you move forward with heart rate variability heart rate variability biofeedback uh what lessons are you taking away from this uh really powerful introduction and success uh case uh that that got published yeah absolutely so um, I would describe myself as a naturopathic generalist, um, a true family medicine doctor who does not focus on one area over any other. The reason HRV biofeedback, I keep coming back to it, is I just see so many patients who are so dysregulated in their nervous system yeah. um, and so busy that you give them a set of recommendations and they come back and they're honest with me because I give them a lot of permission to be honest yeah. and say, sorry, doc, I didn't do any of it. Um, and that happens week after week and they feel frustrated. They feel unsuccessful. Honestly, I feel a little frustrated too, because I spent a lot of time coming up with those recommendations. Right. Um, and for those people getting re-regulated through biofeedback therapy, um, you know, if your nervous system is out of whack, there's no space to make change. Right. So um, the reason I do biofeedback therapy is because I see that overwhelm as an obstacle to cure. Like I can't do anything that I want to do medically and there's lots I do medically. I do botanicals. We do custom tinctures for people, custom teas for people, um, supplements. Um, I also do craniosacral therapy, which is a hands-on modality. So there's lots that I like to do with patients, um, nutrition recommendations, lifestyle, all of that. But if they're so overwhelmed and their nervous system is on high alert and they're in um, that activation, they're not going to be able to do any of it. Right. And I'm not going to be able to help them with whatever they came to see me for. Exactly. So. Um, that's really where biofeedback fits in for me is um, not that I'm going to be soliciting people to come in just for biofeedback more. I'm soliciting general medicine patients who then need biofeedback to progress with general medicine. Right. And very sense. familiar how I see this, you know, with my work, especially in the, the trauma world of mental health, uh, kind of that, that, that to me, it's like the greatest homework a therapist, like my dream homework to give somebody like, you know, if it's safe for them and they feel comfortable doing it, like, boy, everything that I learned as a trauma therapist was how to help regulate that dysregulated, the, the nervous system that got dysregulated by trauma. You know, this is, again, maybe not in of itself going to be the full healing picture, but what a supplement to help us reach our, our goals, um, especially, again, for those that feel comfortable doing that you know, even five or 10 minutes of practice at home each night uh, to, to build up that resiliency over time. And that's, that's the exciting thing about where I see this technology and getting it in the hands of people like yourself is just really exciting to see uh, where we'll go with this uh, into the future. It's really incredible. Um, I love it when patients can do it. It's a bit of a time commitment for patients. That's the yeah. biggest barrier that I see coming in seven weeks in a row um, you know, especially if they have work that's less flexible, I'm really interested in working with, um, a lower income community who maybe doesn't have a job where they have easy time off, um, or flexibility. Yeah. So that's the biggest barrier. I have other tools that I use for patients if they can't come in. Um, like, have you heard of the dynamic neural retraining system? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll do can that. You, can you explain that just a little bit though, for our listeners who might not yeah. have? Absolutely. So our heart rate variability probably all of your listeners are familiar with, that's using um, breath, 
work predominantly as a way to kind of calm the nervous system and increase the heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. um, and it works more globally on the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system helps tone the vagus nerve and all of that. Um, the dynamic neural retraining system works more in the limbic system of the brain, which is that like reptilian fear center. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it helps reset the limbic system. So if you're on high alert because of past trauma, it's typically used for people with trauma. Um, if you're on high alert, it can help kind of calm that fear response down. So it's two different approaches, but with very similar outcomes I have found in calming that reactivity. Absolutely. Absolutely. So any, any sort of final insights, feedbacks, I, I know you're, you're looking at some of the next stages of your career. So just anything that we may not have covered, uh, insights, epiphanies, uh, that you've had on, on your, uh, some of your initial steps in your HRV journey. Um, let's see. I'm just like continuously just blown away. And I'm sure all of your listeners are just by how effective this tool can be. Um, Across all of my patients, I've never seen anyone get worse through doing HRV biofeedback. I know theoretically it's possible. And everyone really does end up getting some benefit, like some learning about themselves, even just from the act of like caring for themselves enough to make the appointments for biofeedback. That in and of itself is really powerful. Um, it's something I wish more clinicians knew about um, just because so many patients get stuck without it. Um, you know, I think it's something I plan to refer to as well as doing it in my own practice extensively. Um, I think to any medical doctors listening um, or to practitioners who maybe are on that shorter time model, just knowing that this exists yeah. for patients that like, I truly believe that your non-compliant patients, they're not doing it to frustrate you. Um, they're not doing it to self-sabotage. You know, nobody chooses to be that way. They're doing it because their nervous system can't do any better typically or there's a financial barrier, but I do think it's our duty as caretakers to explore with people why they're not able to follow a treatment plan um, in a really open-minded way. And for some people, biofeedback could be an answer to helping gain that compliance that we're all looking for. I love it. I love it. So I, I'll just put a quick plug out, uh, the biofeedback special edition journal of the AAPB. Um, if you're not an AAPB member and you're listening to this podcast, just Google it. Uh, I, I just get great stuff from them. Some I, The journal comes on a regular basis, and then I get some of these great juicy things uh, with with really great articles. And uh, Sarah, I just got to say, I am I, the world is a better place for having you out there. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm a little embarrassed you introduced me to the indie, uh, but I'm so glad uh, you did because it, it just I, I, I do a lot of work with federally qualified health centers and others that are just really struggling to engage certain populations who, again, may, may struggle economically or with other issues, uh, uh, social inequities of health, all those other things. Um, and we're looking for models that, that are better than the traditional medical model where engagement is, is just really it's a struggle and so just just to my heart uh knowing that this movement is really taking hold and i got something to hey where is it at in colorado and who can i advocate to will be uh, uh some google searches very quickly for me <laughs> after that we record yeah well i can um save you one google search and say that naturopathic doctors are licensed in the state of colorado all right all right so they're out there um and that just i'm so grateful also to have a chance to give this plug to my profession because we aren't that well known um 
And as someone who used to work extensively with medical doctors, I don't think we have to work in competition. Oh no. Um, at first they would say, I worked, like I said, I was a service line director. I worked with a bunch of surgeons. And when I told them I was leaving to study naturopathic medicine, they're like, you're gonna be a witch doctor? I'm like, no, no, no. And then I sat down and I explained to them like that I have an hour, that I have education in nutrition. And they're like, whoa, like I would actually send my patients to you because I don't have time to talk to them about their diet. I don't have the knowledge to talk to them about their diet. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to work hand in hand, um, not as competition. Um, and I think, you know, patients will get better when they have the opportunity to be heard, to be treated holistically um, with an eye towards prevention. Yep. And I think that's a, a lot of our, I, 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 will, I will speak for us, whoever us is, but me, like, you know, the, the folks that are really looking at heart rate variability, getting the autonomic nervous system, just nerding out about, you know, optimal you know, functioning, vagal break, all, you know, we, we've got to focus on sleep quality, diet, movement, you know, nutrition, all these aspects of it that I just know that my, my friends in traditional medicine don't have time or expertise. And if you don't talk about things like nutrition or movement or sleep quality, how are you going to help someone you know, heal, like you, you can address disease states, but are you going to help them get healthy? And th there's this growing frustration that, you know, we, we, I think work with people because we just nerd out about this. And then, you know, that there's not that kind of almost we're working against the medical profession and it feels like that in some ways. And, and to, to really have you know, this movement, which sounds like you encompass like everything we're advocating for, uh, the, the holistic sort of health approach with a really strong scientific foundation. It's like, I, it just does my heart good to know uh, this movement is is catching on and uh, the shout out to Colorado for being one of those early adapters. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's exactly what you would think. It's the two coasts. Um, yep. Call it, and a few of us hippies in the states. <laughs> Yeah, the four corner states. <laughs> but it's growing. It's growing every year. And it's really exciting to see. Well, awesome. So we'll put a little bit of information about uh, you uh, in, in the show notes as well. People are interested um, in that. I'll, uh, I'll put a link to AAPB in there, uh, which is where I, I got to see your great work. So, uh, Sarah, I really appreciate your time your work and uh, good luck. I'm excited to see where you go with this uh, because boy, like I said, that was just an inspiration. Uh, that article, that case review was such an inspiration. It's like, this is why we're doing this work uh, that I appreciate yeah. you taking the time to write it up for us. Yeah, thank you so much. It was definitely a turning point case for me. I was deep in all of those academic classes at that point and like, why did I do this? Why did I sign up? Um, and then I had this patient who just improved so rapidly and it's like, oh yeah, you know what? This is why we do it. Awesome. Well, thank you so very much. And to our thank listeners, you. as always, you can find show notes at optimalhrv.com. And uh, Sarah, thank you. And we'll see everybody next week. Thanks so much, Matt.